Hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I am your host. My name is Tessa Tovar. I'm kind of giggling and chuckling to myself because every time I start a podcast, my cat shows up and she is not disappointing today. She is very much here and rummaging around. Anyways, I digress. I am so excited to have Ellen Bard on the show. She is an amazing woman who's done a lot of work in many different um, areas, but I really want to dive into this topic at hand. Uh, She recently wrote the book, Your Work Wellness Toolkit, which is an amazing book full of all kinds of resources and really relevant um, exercises that are so pertinent to what we're going through in this particular time and space. Um, what a joy to have you here, Ellen. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. And it's lovely to meet you and the cat who definitely would like to be a podcast interviewee. I can see. <laughs> That'd be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Do you ever talk to your animals? <laughs> we don't have an animal because we live in the condo in Bangkok. Oh, so it's a bit yes. different. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> Mostly well- it's pigeons outside. You could talk to those, I suppose. <laughs> um, so let's, can we dive into the, the book first? I want to hear about what was the impetus to writing this and, and creating this? Uh, so my background professionally as a work psychologist. So one of the things that I spend a lot of my time on is, is talking to people who are in different kinds of workplaces. So huge ones, some of the biggest companies in the world, small ones, um, public sector, private sector, all kinds of different companies. And I've done a lot of work on self-care, I guess, out what we would consider outside the workplace. And I realized that really there's a place for self-care specifically in the workplace. And it's something that's not super explored because obviously at work, most of us feel like, oh, my, you know, I have to do my work, I have to be successful. And we have these, these visions of what work should be. Um, and we forget that if we don't nourish and nurture ourselves in the workplace, then um, we burn out. And when the World Health Organization um, categorized burnout as a syndrome uh, last year or the year before, um, that was another piece of the puzzle to say, okay, this is really a problem for organizations because you need healthy employees and for us as individuals. Um, so I brought my my personal experience because I have a lot of personal experience trying to take care of myself better um, and my professional experience together to uh, create the book. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's so needed right now. Well, how do we make this mm. a sustainable thing? I mean, I, I don't think that the work from home, like number one, the work from home environment is going to go anywhere anytime soon. In mm. fact, even before 2020, it seemed to me like there was a move towards uh, a move away from brick and mortar and towards um, like the mobile workplace, right? Working coffee shops, being able to pick up your laptop and kind of choose where you want to work. So number one, I think maybe this is a two-part question, actually. There's like the shift from that person who is really used to working in the office environment, who now suddenly finds themselves working from home, maybe for the foreseeable future. That's got to be a rough transition for a lot of people, I would think. What are you finding? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what happened was people went into this crisis state, this emergency state. Oh, a pandemic's happened. Well, that's not something that's happened in our lifetime. So there was a lot of... um, 
or there was more allowance for things going wrong, um, people adjusting. And now, as you say, it's become this sort of horrible phrase of new normal, but probably correct. Um, and so there's there's the opportunity for us to step back and, and assess rather than just kind of head in there and, and just barrel on with uh, what we're doing, to step back and say, okay, well, what is working here? What isn't working here? And I think that's the piece that not everyone's managed to do because we're so busy trying to juggle and handle all of the tasks in the moment that we're not necessarily stepping back and thinking about the big picture. And that might be things as simple as... Um, so people use things like signs outside their door to tell their to their office door to tell their children or their partner, okay, I'm on a call right now, so please don't come in. <laughs> um, or it might be about creating boundaries for yourself to say, okay, at six o'clock or whatever works for you, I'm going to log off the computer. Even if I'm going to turn my computer again on again for pleasure, I'm going to physically shut my computer and I'm going to say work time is finished now. So this is called thresholding. So this idea of creating uh, a boundary between your work time and your personal time. So there's lots of things we can do, but it, it, it does involve us like stepping back and taking some time to say, okay, what is it that's most challenging for me about working at home? Yeah, oh, that's so important. I, and what do you say to the person who says, I don't have time to, to slow down because I am that busy. I don't have time to, t- to step back and assess what isn't working because my inbox is flooded and I can't even get a lunch break some days. Um, that you are investing time to save time. So this is the tactical strategic um, challenge for people you, you have although it feels difficult in order to make your life better in the longer term sometimes we have to invest that piece of time um, to say okay how can I make my life better and the idea is that it does make your life better in the longer term um, and it's a tough thing to do I, I, I'm not at all minimizing it Um, And usually it's about planning. So saying to yourself, okay, on Friday evening, I'm going to spend 30 minutes at the end of the day, um, just just stepping back and looking at my situation and thinking, what are the biggest stresses and what practical things can I do about those? Yeah, Mm, so true. Well, and you mentioned um, as we were introducing you that this book, the impetus for this book is based on like your real life experience. And I want to hear about your personal journey. Uh, from what I understand, you went from like a 60 hour work week, managing consult- consulting in London, um, freelancing, you're an author, you've published fiction, nonfiction, um, and now you, you're in Thailand, and but you, it sounds like you've worked all over the world, like something like 25 countries. So you've been through the fire of this. And to, I want to hear about that personal journey, that personal growth experience. Yeah, when you're in the journey, you, you just do it. But then sometimes I do look back and think, oh, there's quite a lot in there. Um, so, yes, I was um, a very traditional um, working person um, in the corporate world. So uh, I went through various degrees. I went through professional qualifications. I'm a chartered psychologist. Um, I worked in management consultancy, which is a tough and tiring world. And I really enjoyed my job. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't about 
burnout for me in that sense. But I had a car accident um, early on, a long time ago now, and that turned into a chronic pain condition, uh, which I'm sure many of your listeners will empathize with and, it, and really sucks. And then later on, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, um, which is um, also very challenging. And eventually the the energy and the effort that I was putting into work just tired me out. I, I c- couldn't go any further with it. I needed to take a break. So I took a sabbatical. I didn't actually uh, at that point decide to stop working. My assumption was I would go and lie on a beach somewhere tropical. I would rest. I would nourish myself. And then I'd go back. And I, I had offers to go back to more senior positions um, and assumed that that would work out. But I started traveling, went to a few places in Southeast Asia, came to Thailand, and I saw people doing different things, working in different ways, creating different lives. And as a work psychologist, I found that super interesting, this idea of how are people engaging with work differently. And this is maybe eight or nine years ago. So um, I guess a bit before this idea of hybrid working or uh, working from home was quite as prevalent as it is now. And I decided, oh, maybe I could try things a bit differently. And I started freelancing and then that worked out quite well. And then I recreated a life which felt much, much more nourishing, self-care at the center. Um, But turns out you take your personality with you. um, And then... (laughs) I ended up um, having a year where I think I think I did one year where I did 120 flights um, and worked in a ridiculous number of countries and got strep throat seven times in a year. I didn't really know what strep throat was at the beginning of the year. By the end of it, I had a very good idea. And then I thought, oh, <laughs> you really do take your personality with you. Let's try going back to my self-care. So it was another... Um, wake up call to remind me which I very much uh, will remind people around that self-care is an ongoing process it's not something you tick off the list no matter how um, uh, list orientated goal orientated you are it's something that needs to be small sustainable as you mentioned before and happening regularly in your environment you need to do those check-ins so I didn't at that start of that year mean to take 120 flights but the opportunities were there felt like it was okay it was exciting and interesting and did nourish me in a different way which I think is also very interesting we have to balance how we nourish ourselves and working with different cultures I find fascinating as you say I've worked in 25 countries now with people from maybe 40 or 50 different countries and that's amazing um but you have to balance that with well actually maybe that's too many flights when you're not a pilot or an air attendant um and then this year no last year 2021 last year i got diagnosed with a new thing which is endometriosis um and had yet another um opportunity to revisit my self-care um and some of that is is very much mental like that's the third chronic health condition that I've been diagnosed with, which doesn't feel great, um, but reminds me again to nourish myself because there are so many things that I want to do. Um, And as you say, there are lots of things that I do do, but balance and making sure that I invest in my inner self, for want of a better world, is is, uh, really important. 
that was a bit of a ramble about my story, but there's some um, lots of bits to it. Well, yeah. And I mean, as it should be, because it is your story and it's winding and it's not, mm-hmm. I don't think any of our stories are ever linear, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. And we make sense of them from the future. You know, at the time I didn't see these patterns, but, but now looking back, I can really see this idea of taking your personality with you. You know, you really have to work to make sure that you mitigate the potential weaknesses you have in the area whilst building on your strengths. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, I love that you take your personality with you. And um, it's so true as I can relate to the um, move from a corporate job to being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. um, and seeing my habits and behaviors show up in this role that I've created for myself, this work that I've created for myself and always having to build in. I mean, I ask these questions because I constantly need reminders of how do we make Mm -hmm. self-care sustainable? What does self-care look like for me? How do I define self-care? And how do I build that into, you know, my week, my daily existence? Is that even sustainable in and of itself? These are all things that I want you uh, as the workplace psychologist expert to touch on, (laughs) if you would be so kind. I mean, I know that's a lot of things. So yeah, I'll I'll let you take that topic and run with it. Um, So I think that if we're going to be our best self, and that's my kind of vision for, for me and for the people that I work with, uh, whatever that looks like, and that does not have to be saving the world, being your best self, just it's you showing up in the world in, in the way that is the best way possible for you. Um, so, so that's the first thing, setting goals or setting um, an idea of yourself that is achievable um, rather than pushing yourself to something that isn't you. Remembering that we are a work in progress. So the self-compassion and the self-kindness, and I find this very challenging, is really critical. Like really trying to remind yourself, you know, I'm not done. Like there's always another day until there isn't, and then probably we're not worrying about it so much. Um, There's always another day to explore and to work on your self-compassion and to work on your self-kindness. I think one of the biggest things, and this is one of my personal um, challenges that I work on a lot, is our self-talk, the narrative that we have in our heads. And I know this comes up in lots of ways for people. Um, Trying to be your own best friend in your head, talk to yourself like that rather than the way we normally talk to ourselves, that makes a really big difference. And then one of the things I also suggest with people is to get to know yourself more. The more we know ourselves, um, the the better actions we can take. So knowing at a most basic level what nourishes you and what depletes you, I think is really powerful um, because then there's some small tweaks that we can make to include a bit more of what nourishes us and a bit less of what depletes us. And of course, there are things we have to do. Um, But I often think we have more choices than we think we do. They're just hard choices. So leaving the UK and leaving my corporate job and becoming a freelancer was not an easy decision. Um, And and at the time, you know, I had a a house and an apartment, a car, 
my life, people around me. Like I was very well embedded in my life. And so leaving that took time and took some hard choices, but they were choices that were possible for me to make. Now, of course, if you have children, um, different types of connections might require different types of choices. But I think sometimes seeing that there are more choices than we think there are, even if they're difficult, is also useful to remember. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'm so I want to go back to something you said earlier about kind of noticing, knowing, learning about yourself, taking the time to do self study. So important, so valuable, and it's so much easier said than done. And so I was listening to a podcast recently, uh, it was an interview with Nedra Glover Tawab. Um, she's an author who was speaking to this idea of, um, where do we give our energy away and can we slow down enough to notice when I'm choosing to show up and, you know, let's say it's a friend that every time you have a conversation with this friend, they're just complaining and you notice yourself feeling like, I don't want to hang out that friend because I always feel really tired afterwards. Or, um, you know, I feel more depleted. This person might be sucking energy out of me instead of giving me energy or even meeting me halfway. So it was a, just a nice reminder hearing you say that is to notice these interactions that we choose to show up for in our life. Um, they are that, they are choices. We choose to engage with this or that person. We choose to have these friends in our life. And, you know, I think it's, it's tough for us as we think about even like family members who tend to um, be a little bit more depleting than energizing because after all their family, right? So how do you make those tough decisions? But I, I do think it's important to recognize that these relationships that we have are choices. And there are times when we can choose to engage, to make that phone call, to set that, you know, friend date or romantic date and spend time with that person or spend time with yourself. So I definitely want to highlight that point that you made. Um, and yeah, I think just like the idea of the pendulum, here's what I was thinking of too, is the idea of the pendulum swinging enough to know when you've hit your boundary, when you've hit your, um, what is the word for that? Like you've hit your limit, right? Cause how do you know? And I'd be curious to see what you think about this. How do you know your limit until you've gone beyond it? Do you think mm -hmm. you can know that okay. ahead of time? Or do you have okay, to so that boundary? Two things to pick up on there. So first, I think the thing that you talk about in terms of friends and family uh, is super important. In my um, family, we used to call them drains and radiators. Yes. So is that person a drain or a radiator? And it's quite a useful, silly name because it reminds you of exactly that. Is that person a drain or a radiator? And I wrote um, a different, a first book on self-care and one of the tips I had in the original exercises I had in the original draft was about cutting out a friend who was a drain. And I could, in the end, I couldn't bring myself to put it in the book because I felt it's such a, um, it's like a really advanced tip. I just, I, I use, I suggested, and I suggest to you and to people around you and to the listeners to um, mute them on social media. That's like a great first step. 
So remember, you can mute people on social media. You do not have to have their stuff in your feed. You can um, uh, mute them. They won't know. They'll still be your friends. You can always go and look at them if you if you want. And if you do have drones in your life, which honestly most of us do because people are people, um, balance that with time to nourish yourself. So that's the recognizing piece. Okay, I have this person. They're a family member. I feel some responsibility towards seeing them. There is something I get out of this relationship, but I know I need to have some boundaries around it and I need to uh, spend some time on my own or spend some time with a radiator afterwards. So that's the kind of balance. Um, If you can cut people out of your life, then power to you. But I suspect most of us realistically, which is what I'm trying to do in terms of the suggestions that I give like what is practical and reasonable for most human beings realistically most of us um are going to keep them in our lives so it's about management um and then the second piece you talked about is how do we know whether we've hit our limit and I think that is a really interesting question again um, I'm definitely someone that can run quite a long time on an empty tank and then just crash. <laughs> that's that's it. I, I just am ill then. And it's much better, obviously, to not get to that point um, in my, my personal experience. So what I suggest there is also keeping an eye on yourself. So for me, I write uh, morning pages every day. So I write a journal entry every day. Um, it's not very long. I, I set a timer for 10 minutes um, and I just blur out onto the page whatever's happened the day before um and that's a good way of checking in so i read those morning pages monthly and i go back um and i just have a quick read through like i don't spend hours on it and that's a good way of checking in with myself like is there anything there that maybe I need to, any themes, anything that come. am I whining about something every single day? Well, okay, maybe I need to take some action on that. Like it's okay to whine in my morning pages. It's a good place for it. But do I need to take some action? Because actually there's a problem. So that's one way. Um, I also do a gratitude journal every day and I see, I use an app and the app has a mood checker, uh, which is useful. And again, I can look at that and think, is, is there something, is there like some patterns in there? Um, I mean, I'm super um, structured, I guess. So I also have um, a, a, spread, a health spreadsheet of like pain, basically. It looks at different pain, why I eat, stuff like that. And that's because I have these health conditions and it helps me to know, okay, is there a bad patch that I'm going through? And I can look at the numbers in that. And that goes back quite a lot of years now. So I have lots of way of tracking. So if people are able to track either qualitatively, like morning pages, or quantitatively, like do a mood checker, there's something called moodscope.com. Have you ever come across that? No. Mood, mood, is it moodscope? Mood scope, I think. Yeah. I'll send you the link and, and you yes. can share it. That's um a 20 question. Um uh, psychological like mood tracker and that is really useful um, and it's used for uh, people with um, challenges around depression but also it's just useful to track your mood and see like if you have a plunge down you know again maybe you can um, look into it but it asks you questions so it helps you to assess your own mood 
Um, so yeah, lots uh, lots of ways for me about keeping an eye on it to give me warning signs. Um, my, I also have a partner um, these days, and he <laughs> will also give me uh, blunt and honest feedback. He's a, a techie. Um, blunt and honest feedback, but my maybe I'm not being as chirpy or as cheerful as. Um, might be helpful in the relationship so the people around you can also give you a check-in how do you do it at the moment so you're I mean you're someone who does so many things and of course you have your own health practice physical and mental health practice with yoga how do you um, check in and make sure that you don't reach that point yeah thank you for asking I um so I've tried so many different things. Morning pages has been one thing I've definitely done as well as a gratitude journal. I find I am not consistent with those things lately. So when I talk about sustainability for me, it's not something that happens daily. Um, and I definitely, so what is sustainable for me is thinking about my, I think about my day with morning and evening being bookends. And if I set myself up with this kind of template for success, usually whatever happens throughout the day, I can manage it, whether it's a really chaotic, stressful day, or it's a calm and relaxing day. So my bookends look like I'll start with evening. I start a wind down routine um, when the sun is setting. Uh, I usually try to be done with work around five knowing that of course that ebbs and flow, I let myself be flexible if needed. And I like to eat dinner early. Um, I do have animals. I have four animals. So wow. they really help me stay honest with that schedule because they let you know when they're hungry. <laughs> so I have to stop it and they're on their schedule. So I have to stop at 5 PM my time be the animals. This helps me like you were mentioning, like turn your laptop off. That's like my, okay we're done working for the day, be the animals. I have my dinner. Then if possible, I am done with work and I'm eating a really good nourishing meal. I'm super into nutrition and wellness in terms of being mindful of what we put in our bodies, how we nourish our bodies with the, with the food we eat. So not only what am I eating, but, um, how am I eating it? Why am I eating it? when am I eating it? Where am I eating it? I kind of try to stay uh, cognizant of these factors around food and nutrition. Um, I go for a walk because I have dogs. And again, like these are these animals like really create stability and sustainability in my life. So every evening I take my dogs for a walk. Um, really good for the digestion too, not to mention like after eating dinner to go for a walk. Um, also helps up my circadian rhythm and get me prepared for bed, walking underneath that moonlight. Um, and then I always, 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 this is something is non-negotiable for me. So I do have my non-negotiables read fiction before bed. I heard once, I think this was on a Tim Ferriss podcast that there's some research to support that reading fiction before bed is soothing for the nervous system. And that kind of like creative um, energy helps your brain start to shut down and move towards uh, like the dreamland. Um, and I start my day similarly. So ideally, I'm like in bed by around 9 p.m., um, which allows me to wake up naturally around 6 a.m. And I 
feed my animals. I, I do have coffee. That's one of my other non-negotiables because I love the ritual of coffee, the smell mm. of it, the taste of it, the way it Me looks. Me too. Right? <laughs> it's so yummy. And, and I read again. I just give myself like five to 10 minutes. Some days it's longer to, to read my fiction. And those are my, you know, they're simple things. Um, and they're predictable, but I think we overcomplicate our lives thinking that our habits and our behaviors for ritual need to be complicated and they really don't. And they can be the same thing every day. And we're pretty happy with that. Um, so yeah, those are my rituals. I want to hear more about, <sighs> okay. So we, we started to talk about, um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. So we started to talk about this shift from the brick and mortar, the office workplace to working from home. Um, and so many of us are working from home. And so you mentioned like, I love that idea of having a, a sign on your door. Like I'm in a meeting, don't disturb me for the kiddos and stuff in the house. How can we set up our, our home environment, whether it's like your own personal office to be that place that is, motivating. Like we want to get up and we want to go to work. We want to, whether it's sit in front of our computer or whatever it is that we do for work, feel like this is a good place to be and something I feel motivated to do. Okay. So some suggestions that I would have is first of all, if you can have a consistent place, I think that's very helpful. So for me, I'm lucky enough to have um, an office um, which has a permanent desk in it. And so I'm able to set that up for work. Even if you don't have that, even if you have to create your office every day, it's at the dining table, I still think there are some small things that you can do. And part of those are ritualizing it again. And as you say, ritual does not have to be super complicated and involve candles and all kinds of things. A ritual is just a repeated action that's meaningful to you um, that maybe is a bit not meaningful to anyone else. It's not a habit. A habit is like structured and something that is, is clear why we're doing it. But a ritual might be um, repeating something out loud. It's very much personal to yourself. So some of the things that I would suggest were, first of all, if you can use your, um, what do we call it, background screen um, to light you up. So for me, I have a word of the year every year. You can tell I, I mean, I really do implement as many of the things um, that I suggest as I can. So I have a word of the year. Um, I've created a background on my um, screen so that that word shows up, but in a as beautiful way as it can be and that draws my attention to that word and it happens to be ease this year um, which is a bit aspirational um, but it really just seeing that word reminds me to <laughs> relax my shoulders for example um, it's fascinating the effect and so there's some ritual in that uh, I also suggest having um, an, what I would call an object of beauty on your desk and, and that can be super small. Uh, let me see. I can show you. I have several. I'll show you one of mine, which is a shell, um, a conch shell that my partner um, bought me. Um, and I find it super beautiful. It's beautiful to touch. It's beautiful to look at. Um, it's on my desk. It reminds me of him. I have a picture of him um, and his uh, child as well. But the, the shell is this object of beauty. And that's something I can 
take around with me. So I often do go to cafes. Um, what I tend to take to cafes, funny enough, is coloured pens. So I love coloured pens. I love colour. And so if I go to a cafe, I obviously have my background, but I take those coloured pens with me and they bring me some small joy uh, and some post-its. So again, these joys, these pleasures really don't have to be um, huge, but think about what does bring you joy. So for me, silly as it is, if I take notes in a mind map with coloured pen, that gives me some happiness, even if I'm doing uh, something complex and work related. Um, I love that. I might steal that colored pen tip. Can, you said mind map. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, okay. So my, a mind map is um, a way of exploring information, mapping information that in, you've, I'm sure you've seen them where you have something in the middle and then you have branches coming off to the sides. Yeah. Um, and I love mind maps. Uh, and in fact, my partner and I run our lives through mind maps. Like whenever we're doing anything, we do a mind map. Um, and so I have them on um, uh, on the computer on, online as well. That's, that's a way of like my note taking. Um, if I'm exploring an idea for an article, so if I'm working the book, uh, the original genesis of the book, I use the mind map to map it out. Um, but when I am thinking about things just like noodling, as you say, like just trying to be creative. Then I use colored pens and mind maps uh, physically because I also find that quite powerful. Um, what else do it? So post, I adore post-its. Um, I try to help myself focus by uh, using the Kanban method, which is essentially choosing three post-its at a time, not letting myself get distracted by other things, only focusing on them and replacing one of those post-its with a new post-it when I've managed to finish one of those tasks. And that helps me focus. And you can take post-its anywhere. Um, so that's also useful for working in a cafe just as much at home. Um, can I interject with a Yeah, sorry, I have like a million <laughs> suggestions. So uh, and they're all I should good. stop to breathe. <laughs> no, I love it. Keep them coming. But I want to understand the way that you're utilizing the Kanban method at a cafe because I want to steal that. <laughs> and because I've used the Kanban method in software programs, I'm familiar <laughs> with it in something like Jira. Um, but I haven't actually done it tactically with my hands in a cafe, which I love working from cafes. So you said three post-it notes and you're working with one idea at a time or maybe three ideas at a time. Are you writing like a word or a sentence or a phrase on these? Um, what I try to do, and I'm going to be kind to myself and say not perfect, is have what the specific action is. So tr trying to split out doing and deciding time is really crucial Um I think often we, when we get blocked, it's because we're trying to do some deciding, but we're in doing time. So I try, yeah, not perfect, to have done my deciding before I do my doing. So when I have my three post-its, like visualizing them now, uh, I write on uh, what my next three actions are of three different projects. And for me, um, it helps me to do to choose three things. One that's like, Big. So right now I'm writing an article and that needs quite a lot of my 
mental capacity. So that's my big task. And then usually I have an admin thing, um, which has to get done, but I'm not very excited about it. And then I have a um, a growth thing, like um, um, a course or something like something like that, something small. And then I do 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, and I rotate between them. Now, sometimes I can't do that because the big task is urgent and has to be done and I might change it. But if I have the flexibility so actually later today I'm going to do some fiction writing and my fiction writing will be the big task and noodling will be my on like what the plot um, of the next book is going to be will be another task like that's how I use my Kanban and I physically write them down I have them and there's so much joy in screwing up the post-it and throwing it in the bin when the task is done like that that is um for me a completion activity yeah that's like how I feel when I cross something off of my list yeah absolutely so cathartic (laughs) I love that I want to hear more about your um, fiction writing process I'm an aspiring (laughs) novelist myself I haven't actually written one down but I feel like I don't know maybe you'll empathize with this I feel like I've been writing one in my head since Mm -hmm. I was five Mm -hmm. or several maybe multiple books and so um, mind mapping is something that i I just learned about as it applies to the fiction writing mm-hmm. process and had never thought about use it, utilizing it for anything else in my life until you just mentioned that. I, I call it brainstorming when I'm doing that kind of like a, not a Venn diagram, but that kind of a mind mapping diagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I hear more about uh, how to say um, you're like, what, what sparks that create? Okay. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> so no, I like it. I like the excitement. It's nice. <laughs> There's like a question in here and it's very important that I'm really trying hard to spit out. And I think it's around um, like as Elizabeth Gilbert would call it, that elusive creative genius that. It's kind of like sitting over there in the corner telling you sh- you should write the next great American novel. But when you when you go sit down to write, you're like, I don't know. Where did that idea go? You know, so how do you approach that creatively when writing something like fiction? OK, um, some big, big questions there. So one of the things is that I told myself at the start. I'm not writing the great American novel because I'm really not. Well, first of all, I'm British, so that's a a thing. Um, But also um, the genre that I write in is paranormal romance. So it's um, magic and love. Like that's the um, thing. And uh, you might be interested that where I came up with the idea for the series that I'm working on at the moment is when I was uh, living on an island in Thailand and at a tantric yoga school, which I attended for a year, was a very interesting experience, uh, many learnings. I don't do tantric yoga. Any, like, it's not something that I feel aligned to anymore. It was an um, uh, experience at the time. But what it uh, inspired me to use is to use the chakras as a magic system. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I was doing a lot of deep learning about the chakras and about, um, obviously about all aspects of yoga. And I love many aspects of yoga, although right now I'm doing aqua yoga. So 
very unclear whether I would actually count that as yoga, but it's super fun. <laughs> um, but the tantric yoga sparked these ideas in me that I was then able to take. And what I, what I feel strongly about fiction and nonfiction is you have to have the ideas, but you also have to have the persistence and discipline to actually write the book um, which is not easy like the current uh, fiction that I've been writing which is the fourth in the series um, has taken me a long time and part of that is because the work wellness um, book bubbled up in between part of it is because I still work a lot as a consultant and so I'm balancing that part of that is I met my partner six years ago and he has a child who's now 10 and that was a um very different world I was never intending to have children I am so lucky I adore this particular child he's lovely but obviously that really changed my life in a way I wasn't expecting so there's juggling all these things but going back to your question the idea I tend to have a lot of ideas the challenge for me is capturing it and shaping it and holding on to it in a way that I can then communicate that to others. Um, and and this, I've done a lot of um, reading and courses and developing my writing, my, my business writing, my nonfiction writing, I find not super easy, but like it comes to me more naturally. I've been a consultant for 20 years. I am used to communicating complex psychology ideas to non-psychologists. So I feel comfortable with that but fiction was a really new area for me and it's, it's a lot harder it brings a different kind of joy like I love it yeah and I love the completed product but it's hard yeah <laughs> and often we don't want to do things that are hard yeah. so you have to really that's why I use this 20 minute 10 minute 5 minute because it's a way of saying to myself it's okay you just have to stick with this task for 20 minutes and then we're going to do something different and come back to it mm. I love that. Do you, do you, um, how do you approach that? Uh, do you do it daily? Like, do you say Monday through Friday, I'm going to give myself 20 minutes to work on my novel, on my creative fiction writing process? No. And that's mainly because my consult, I'm a freelancer and I choose the work that I take as a consultant mm-hmm. and it varies. So this week, for example, I'm doing some meetings, but I'm not doing any face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom these days um, interaction with the end client. But next week, uh, I'm doing two days of work plus some report writing, and I'm working with the UK. So it's 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., um, which is going to be a killer. Uh, so so I, ca- I have to be both structured and flexible um so it's interesting I was thinking about what you're saying about your routine and what you've given yourself is some um like grounding posts in the ground like every day you do certain things um and maybe they're not a big deal but they give you that consistency that reliability touchstones I guess in a way and I have I have a morning routine Um, which gives me that kind of touchstone. But then where the stretch is for me is is having the flexibility because by nature, I'm a more routine-orientated person. That's my personality. 
And when I started working with the Middle East and Southeast Asia, where time is a slightly different concept, particularly when I was doing face-to-face, people are a lot more chill about turning up on time or turning up at all. Um, And they want you to change things on the fly. Oh, can you just do a slightly different course than you've planned? Those are really hard experiences for me and, and have really helped me to stretch that personality and give me more choices in the way that I react. But that means that with my fiction, I have to balance flexibility with um, with routine. So what I try and do is a session a week, so like a morning or an afternoon. Um, and I'm trying to do two sessions at the moment. Um, but fitting it in around other things, like there's also nonfiction that I'm writing right now for the um, work wellness toolkit um, and doing these kind of activities, which are also really enjoyable. So fitting in all the things <laughs> is a challenge. Um, but yeah, I try and have a, what I would call a session, like let's say three hours. And then in that, I do my 2010-5, a good few times. And that gives me progress on my writing. Uh, but, but the book suffered last year when I was working a lot more because I had to drop something. And that's part of self-care, I think. That's part of self-care at work, saying to yourself, okay, I want to do all the things, but actually... I need to make some hard choices about what I have the energy for right now. And unfortunately, even though the fiction is one of the things that brings me joy, I need to just pause it for a second. Like she's not going anywhere. The book will still be there and I'll come back to it. Yeah. Mm. Gosh, you said so many things I want to touch on and <laughs> I feel like I have time for one more question and I'm like, Oh, what's the last one? <laughs> So I guess what that means to me, as I'm saying that out loud, is maybe if you'd be open to it, we'd just do a round two so I can just keep asking questions. (laughs) Um, Sure, I really enjoyed talking to you, for sure. Aw, thank you, Ellen. I feel so, you know, I empathize with so many things that you're saying, and I feel so inspired, too, in particular around writing fiction and applying this method, the Kanban method to fiction writing. I love that. Is there, you know, as you think back on uh, childhood and to the person that you are today through all of these experiences in your life, from the voice of your childhood self, do you, is there any advice that that childhood self, if you could place yourself in your childhood mind, that she would give to you now? Wow, that's a deep question to end on. Take your um, <laughs> so what comes to me is it's okay to be who you are. Um, so this, when I was a child, I read a lot, like a lot. And I still read a lot. I'm a, I'm a hundred books a year person. Like I love reading fiction, nonfiction Uh, it's something that really nourishes me. Like it's part of my self-care. And I am an introvert by nature. Um, When I moved into consulting, I developed myself to be able to extrovert. 
Um, like when you meet a new client every day, you need to be able to have the tools to interact with new people. And so I expanded my toolbox. But I think my childhood self would remind me that it's that being who I am at the core is just fine. Um, and I, I heard a metaphor the other day on a podcast um, about personal development and growth that if you think about a tree, the tree's there, but sometimes we cut off branches in order to let new things grow. We might um, nurture the tree. We might change the tree, but the tree is still there. And I love that metaphor. It really um, resonated with me as a metaphor for personal development and growth because I think there's a real tension between this idea of, well, I need to love myself as who I am, but I also need to grow and be a better person. And I think if we think about ourselves as this tree that allows us to be who we are. So for me, that introverted self who's reading a book and is really happy nourishing themselves, uh, spending a bit of time on their own reading a book and still grow and, and still strive is not the right word and still invest time in ourselves to be the best version of that tree, to be the best version of that self um, and to show up with as much sparkle as we can and connect with the right people, connect with the radiators um, who, who resonate with who your, your true self or, or your natural personality is. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, okay, so I have like a million more follow-up questions. <laughs> my, my first question is how old is she, this, this childhood self that's giving you this advice maybe eight I would say she's she's little and part of that you know I don't have I didn't have big traumas in my childhood I had a nice childhood it was it was solid my parents loved me um they were together well my dad died so they were together for until he died like they they didn't get divorced I remember my childhood positively um and I don't have a lot of, you know, how people mine their childhoods and say, oh, I can see that this was an event where this happened. I don't have a lot of those. And as a psychologist, that can be a bit embarrassing. Like, I, I just, I, I feel reasonably content with my past. I can see things that have happened, but I don't, I don't have these big moments that some people have. And so I think there's a quietness for me. And probably it comes from photos. There's a lot of photos of me reading books from as, as a child. I think it comes partly from those. And remembering that comfort of reading my book in my bedroom, in the garden. Uh, we lived in the countryside, so there's lots of fields around us. And that being very nourishing for me. And nature today is still very nourishing for me. I recently bought a teeny tiny plant. I'm showing you my teeny tiny plant. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. It's so happy looking. <laughs> yeah, Um and we have plants outside, like we live in a condo, so it's um, different life from living in a um, house, which I lived in mostly in, in the UK. But remembering from my childhood that nature and reading are things that nourish me is a good, 
good reminder. Yeah. She's wise. I love that. I, okay. So I, that was a heavy one to end on. I think to, to lighten it up, I would, and this is a short answer, you know, unless you want to expound upon it, which you're more than welcome to. So, um, I always love, because I'm a voracious reader myself and I, um, I feel like we would have been really good friends as kids. Cause we probably could have just sat there <laughs> side by side, reading our books in our field. Awesome. Our cats walking around. I mean, I always had cats. So I don't, we know. always had cats too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we needed See? them. I felt like there's a kindred spirit <laughs> in there. So I'm wondering, this is my question. What is, um, one book fiction and nonfiction that you've read, you know, recently, maybe within the last year or last month that you would highly recommend that others read themselves? Um, okay, nonfiction, um, I would recommend, let me see if I can remember what it's called, it's by Lisa Barrett Feldman. Um, you may have come across it. I'm sure I could have written down somewhere. The title. Uh, how emotions are made how emotions are made by lisa feldman barrett and as a psychologist it completely changed my understanding of emotions which is a big deal like you learn a lot about emotions as a psychologist and it's a topic i'm very interested in i'm reading the brene brown um, alice of the heart at the moment uh, which is also very interesting but that lisa feldman barrett really changed the way that I thought about emotions and really helped me in processing emotion in practical ways to think about emotion and how to use it and how emotion interacts with our mind and how it's actually just part of us, not something separate. So that would be my non-fiction. Um, in terms of fiction, gosh, that's a, a bigger one. The two books that I really loved um, last year were uh, I think they're called they're about Gideon and Harrow. I'm gonna have to look up the titles. I'm not very good at remembering the Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth, and they are by uh, Tamsin Muir. So T A M S Y N M U I R, and they are very unexpected as books and the voice in both of them is is so strong and compelling um and and they're described as um lesbian necromancers in space now what i would say is that does not that's a good hook but it doesn't really um encapsulate how compelling they are but if you like if I mean, just if you like exploring different types of person, um, but if you have an interest in some a bit of fantasy, um, I think they're really powerful books. They really captured me. I've both read them and listened to them on audiobook, and I've listened to the audiobooks more than once, which given how many books I read is quite interesting because I don't often do repeats because yeah. I want to read new things. Mm-hmm. Um but they're a bit, they're a bit different. Um, compelling, unique, and really engaging. So I've uh, clearly you can see by my excitement that I really like them. But they're just very unexpected, is how I would say. Um, and I like reading um, queer fiction when I can. Like I think there's not enough representation, and I like it when that's not the point of the plot. 
like that that is just the you know she happens to like girls that's yeah. no big deal you know yeah. yeah um and I like that a lot yeah so, yeah oh. I would really recommend them thank you I'm definitely going to check them out because that I get a little bit, you might be able to relate to this. I get, if I have maybe one or two books left to read on my shelf and I'm three quarters of the way through that current book, I get anxious if I don't have at least three to four in my stack ready to go. Oh, <laughs> so I, I so many need that yeah. like, list, you know? So many, so many. I, it's funny. I, I think it's interesting. Time wise, I need to not go on too much here, but I think it's interesting how we how our tastes change as well. So I started a crime novel. I like lots of different novels. And I started a crime novel the other day. And I realized a few chapters in that the pervasive sense of anxiety it was creating in me wasn't worth it. And I find it so hard to let go of books. Like I'm such a completionist. If I've started a book, then I feel a really strong need to finish it uh and I felt like it was a real act of compassion for myself that I let it go because it just was not not creating good feelings in me I didn't want to be anxious for the whole of this book yeah oh I think that's such an important lesson to learn um that you could apply to your life and I love this as a way to to wrap up our conversation because I feel like if if that's a takeaway to be able to put something down that you've started that you realize is not serving you is such a gift yeah um so I love that we wrap that up in that way Ellen and I so appreciate your time thank you so much for being here thank you it's been a real pleasure yes likewise that concludes another amazing episode of outside the studio i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my (laughs) you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so daisy enjoyed it Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks you guys. You make my world go around. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.